Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us here on the Next Level Brands Podcast. We're brought to you today by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational arm of Next Level Brands and providers of online and in-person courses, workshops, and webinars for CPG entrepreneurs at any stage of growth. If you've got a small business started selling locally at farmer's markets or just online, then ready for retail, the online course is for you. From packaging to UPC codes to determining your proper wholesale price, ready for retail has all the information you need to be selling in stores. More details at kitchen2shelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two, shelf.com. What you need to know to grow. Hi, I'm Steve Clear, and today with me on the program is Matt Jordan, CEO of Gorongosa, our Gorongosa, and our Gorongosa produces specialty coffee using regenerative practices that support human development, rainforest reforestation, and wildlife conservation in the Gorongosa National Park located in Mozambique. 100% of their profits support these initiatives, leading the way for direct impact to businesses. You can find our Gorongosa coffee online and then select retailers around the globe. Matt himself has been intrigued by natural systems for as long as he can remember. His fascination turned into investigation while studying a dual undergraduate degree in mathematics and civil and environmental engineering at the University of Portland, Oregon, and then a master's degree in environmental engineering from the University of Texas. What he discovered was a simple lesson, that the fate of human societies and the natural world are intertwined. Pulled by a desire to be of service to the world, Matt undertook various roles he hoped would fit the bill and eventually served two and a half years in the Peace Corps as a volunteer in Mozambique and afterwards joining Gorongosa and finding his true calling in the wild landscapes and the local communities. Today, he serves as the CEO of our Gorongosa as Director of Sustainability for Gorongosa National Park and is working to create a world where people and the planet can thrive together. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hi, Steve. Hi, thanks for having me. So I, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we talk about a lot of entrepreneurs in food and beverage, small goods, um, having a mission based, very important to always have a mission base. You guys obviously have a mission base. So to su support something, to support an infrastructure, to support a national park, uh, all of those things while using some of the resources, the sustainable resources to support that. So can you tell me how you went from, okay, I'm out here. Uh, I'm doing Peace Corps work. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to take on this new responsibility. Thanks. Yeah, I would say that we are, there are very mission-driven companies and we are, uh, we put mission first. And, and I think that really comes, comes about when we talk about the direct impact business model, where the business we do has a direct impact on community and the environment. And uh, hopefully in this next half hour, I can talk a little bit about some of those things really, which is, which is my passion and, and uh, really, really the work I've been doing. I, I'll, I'll start here. So I joined Gorongosa National Park about seven years ago. And at that time, we were working with this community on a place called Mount Gorongosa, a really amazing uh, mountain. It's a uh, very, has a lot of biodiversity, has this amazing rainforest, all of the water from this mountain goes into Gorongosa National Park. And that's what really keeps the elephants and the lions and uh, all the animals alive through the dry season is this, um, this part of the watershed. Right. So we were, look we were looking at this watershed and we were um, looking at the rate of deforestation, which is, 
which in this day and age is a conversation people are having all over the world, which is uh, these natural systems are starting to have challenges as we stress them continually and as our populations grow. So what we have in Gorongos is very similar is that you have this mountain, you have this community who depends on the natural resources, the communities are growing, and the use of the natural resources is uh, sort of growing, growing, and you're getting less forest, and you're, you're losing the ability to capture all that water. And so my story is, I, I show up there, uh, we jump in a, uh, the back of a pickup truck, we go up this mountain, there's, I, I, I don't want to call it a road, because <laughs> the road is too generous of a road term for generous. what it was. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It was like a three-hour uh, massage, you know, uh, in this car. We get up there, um, and there's this community. They've been there for a long time. There's a there's a conflict that overlays everything with uh, with uh, opposition parties and and this government. And then there's this environmental crisis happening. And then there's these people who are just, you know, trying to live their life, trying to have a family trying to, you know, make a living, earn a livelihood. And we enter in the conversation at that stage. Uh, my role at that point was very operationally. I have a background in engineering. So I came in at very much as a, as an engineer, as a hydrologist, sure. how can I, how can I support these, these, what we're doing here? And what became very crystal clear in that moment is that the solution has to be livelihoods focused and it has to be conservation focused and you can't sacrifice one without the other, right? So we, we can't just grow potatoes, everybody gets cash, but you ruin the forest. And we can't just have a huge forest with not a single human being living anywhere near it. And uh, because you, know, you have thousands of people who need to earn a living. So, so yeah. Yeah. In, 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 in to that effect, all right. So um, uh, a little bit of background. So Mozambique has not had a really stable government situation. So there's like nobody really at the top trying to say, okay, folks, we need to diversify in order to, to right, in order to survive. Um, it, 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 right. So you, you don't have that, but you have within this community, at least, people willing to look at a different way of life or creating diversity or how did you tackle that? Right. It, it, that's exactly right. That it was very much a ground up approach that we're working with people and they're looking in their own backyard and they're seeing the rainforest going away and they're seeing the rivers dry up. And, you know, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a math degree to understand that in a few years, you'll have no more forests and you'll have no more running rivers. And all the livelihoods that you depend on for your children and your children's children, that's going to be at risk. So you're taking a pretty vulnerable situation. The, the interesting thing during this time was it was a, a heated conflict zone. So there was a, there, there was a military uh, there, an opposition group, an armed opposition group living there on this mountain. And that's sort of the, that's like the context that we, you know, we, you open the door and that's what you see. You got a military, you got people, you got, you know, and then you got this road and, you know, and you have everything. And then you're saying, well, we definitely want to, we want to figure out a solution here. And, and that's where coffee comes in. And, and when I say coffee, I'm really talking about regenerative rainforest coffee. And, and you'll see that now. That's not, that's not, um, that's not a total novel idea. You see it in Vietnam, you see it in Colombia, you see people doing 
rainforest shade grown coffee and they're finding that they're bringing back biodiversity. They're finding that it, it brings a premium from the market. People are paying more to know that their coffee is value additive to the people and not value extracting people and the environment. So that's really where we sort of start the story of coffee is that we, we had this conversation with these farmers and, and they all said, yeah, that sounds about right. They said, we don't, we don't know what coffee is. <laughs> and we say, well, okay, well, let's try some. You know, um, so you kind of start with this very baseline, but the truth about farmers is they really fundamentally know farming, right? It's, if, if that's what you've been doing for multiple generations and that's your, that's your livelihood, then I come to you and I kind of explain the gist of farming. You, you, you're gonna you're gonna quickly understand it and quickly start asking really good questions, and and that's what we found. And just like with um, when we think about marketing, it's the exact same way when we're talking about stakeholder participation. There's early adopters, and then there's the bandwagon people, and it's the same with our farmers. There are some farmers who were you know they 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 had the mindset to be more um, prone to risk. And they said, you know, we're going to take the risk on these guys who are coming up here and saying these things. We're going to go ahead and plant, you know, uh, 2000 trees. Let's do it. And you had other people saying, well, we're going to wait till those other guys and see what happens with them. And that's really how we rolled out the program. It was on an individual case, house by house basis, you know, working with families, right. you know, going to their homes, sitting down for a meal, um, doing these very, um, very interesting community ceremonies where you have a, a spiritual leader who uh, he's been communing with his spirits quite a lot, uh, more than just ephemeral spirits, but also liquid spirits, you know, and, and at the end of that day, you're just like, wow, okay, this was an experience of a lifetime. Um, and here's one interesting thing that I will say about anybody working in emerging markets um, like Mozambique or, you know, some of these other countries. Uh, particularly in our environment, I'll speak from my experience. In this world, the ancestors are agents, are, are agents of change and are stakeholders in and of themselves. They make decisions that impact real life. <laughs> so if you don't consult the, the ancestors, I'll, I'll just tell you very, very quickly. Uh, yeah. I, I brought up a, I brought up a, a very small um, weather meter, okay, something to just uh, measure the wind and the rain, and it just happened to be that I brought it up during this El Nino year, which is one of the most severe droughts we've had in Sub-Saharan African history, you know. And I brought it up there, and about a couple, two months of this thing being there, people come to me and they say this thing is causing the drought, and I, I could, I couldn't even fathom. What was what the conversation that we're having? I was like, what do you mean? Okay. I said, okay, well, thank you. They said, you get this thing down, uh, or we're gonna we're gonna burn it down. And I, I and I said, well, okay, now I really need to take this seriously. And uh, we decided we had not done a community ceremony, which we do all the time. It, it was just honestly, this was my mistake. We brought this little piece of equipment. Now we decided to take it down. The next day. It rained like it had never rained before. And they were just sitting there, you know, these old timers, you know, guys, old timers been there. And they're sitting there just looking at me being like, well, you know, I told you so. And I was like, well, okay. So, uh, so, so that's interesting. And that's really where the start of this whole story happens. And, 
Uh, it's been about five, six years now. We have uh, gone from a small pilot phase to now scaling up the supply of coffee. We hope that within the next 10 years, we're one of the largest producers of single origin coffee in Sub-Saharan Africa, very exciting possibilities. We wanna save a national park, save a rainforest. And, and all of that is really materializing in, in real time in front of our eyes. Wow, and that and that's awesome. But those those challenges, goodness gracious, Matt, what was what was the primary crop before you guys introduced coffee? Right. So everyone living around the park, about eighty to ninety percent of everyone living around the park are what's called a subsistence farmer. So they sub, they subsistence farmers. So that means that they're growing um, almost entirely just maize or uh, corn. Mm-hmm. And that corn is the stable food crop. It's also any surplus gets sold off to buy very basic things like soap, oil, salt, clothes, you know, right. a metal right. roof yeah. or whatnot, yeah. pay for anything. So the, and, and the practices, because they're subsistence, they're incredibly vulnerable to shocks. And that includes when the commodity market fails. Of when course. there's a plague like the locusts that are flying around Kenya, when there's, um, we've had, we had cyclone to die, a class five cyclone smash into the, literally smash into the park, into these communities last year uh, in uh, March. And I'll tell you, it was one of the most harrowing experiences, um, especially for people living in the community um, and, and, and being there was, was also really quite a, quite an experience. And then sociopolitical uh, things that happened. So, Right. If you're a subsistence farmer, there's nothing wrong with subsistence farming. Uh, what it is, is it's a, it's a huge vulnerability. And that with the world becoming more and more uncertain, right? We're leaving this really stable era of, you know, rain yeah. coming exactly when it yeah. should, uh, you know, things kind of just kind of working out. And now we're entering in a new sort of era where things are a bit more unstable. This vulnerability really, um, it really creates some, some human drama that, uh, yeah. So, so that's really, uh, that's really where it comes from. Um, you know, and, and not, not to be facetious, but you know, Matt, when you were talking about this thing of, you know, you, you, you basically can look at this and you see the rivers drying up and it doesn't take a rocket science to figure it out. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, Matt, really? Well, when you're done in Mozambique, could you go to Arizona? Because, um, <laughs> There are a lot of people who think that, uh, hey, that thing's just going to keep flowing forever. And, mm, and it's right. not, you know, no, that, just- you know, and, and we I, I will not say I, I will say we've had our share of um, of people with really strong opinions uh, who uh, I mean, just I can just tell you, you know, been chased by sticks and, and katanas and things <laughs> like that. And. It's just part of the, and then the next day it's like, oh yeah, that was just a misunderstanding. Let's get back to it. It's like, all right. So um, how did you come up with, well, obviously, right. did, you, yeah. did you look at different crops? Did you, you're right. trying to solve an issue here and right. obviously came to coffee. Um, and, and so how did that more from, hey, these guys ought to be growing something they can sell more consistently right. to, hey, let's create a brand and actually put this out there. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much for that question. And uh, this will either be, this is me living or dying by the sword. You know, if this thing, <laughs> if this really works, then uh, I will be very excited. And, and I have all the confidence in the world. I'm betting my whole 
I'm betting everything I got on this and, uh, you know, I'm committing my life to this. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident it will work. You're all in. Uh, but I'm all in. Yeah. I got nothing else. You know? Um, so what, what I want to say is that we're sitting there and the Goran goes project as it stands has a 25 year agreement with the government. So that means success for us is measured on a 30 year horizon. Now that's a very different time scale and time frame to measure success. And that allowed us to ask a question. And the fundamental question was this, what brings the most value to this landscape? And this has always been our driving force. How do we unlock value that is you know, uh, regenerative in nature and supportive of you know, human, you know, human right. livelihood? Yeah. And we looked at the commodities market. We said, yeah, we could create the enabling conditions for farmers to sell their green bean coffee into the commodities market. And if you've looked at the commodities market and the New York Stock Exchange with the, with the green bean coffee, you know, uh, the farmers uh, are not winning on, on that. Um, no. And there's a lot of very smart people doing a lot of work, the specialty coffee organization, uh, you know, if, a lot of players, even big players like Nespresso are looking at smallholder farmers, you know, um, right. and it's a complicated area. It's the, it's the second highest traded commodity in the entire world. Number one is oil. Number two, it's coffee. I mean, right. to give you a sense of scale. Yep. And so we're looking at that and we ask ourselves, okay, well, that's one way to do it. We looked at the value chain and you asked the question, where are, where's the value going? Well, it, you know, it goes to a few people who add some services like coffee brokers and, you know, people do import export. And then it goes primarily to the brands, right? Who are uh, roasting, which is a serious value add. Right. And then marketing and creating a brand around that. Right. And we, we, we asked ourselves, uh, can, we, can we build a brand to create value and then use that value, leverage that value to support the farmers and support the environment? And we're not the only people to have come up with this kind of you know, virtuous value chain or integrated value chain approach. I think we're, we're very much standing on the shoulders of, of big companies and small companies alike who've come before us, you know, and, and we looked at that and what is exciting about what we are is Gorongoza project isn't an NGO and it's not a national park and it's not a for private company. It kind of blends a lot of these different elements to create a, a hybrid organization with different structures that are all adding to unlocking this, you know, the potential of this area. And, and that's really exciting. That's what we talk about. When we say the direct impact models. We're talking about this thing. So from the standpoint of the individual farmers and subsistence or prior were subsistence farmers. So um, because this is taking place in, um, in, in Mozambique, sort of who owns the land to, to start with, how does the farmer allocate or how do you guys allocate or who allocates what's grown where and then who, you know, obviously people benefit by participation, but um, how did you sort all that out in, in, in the country? Yeah, I will just, I will I'll say one thing about land use. Uh, land use in Africa is a very big topic and there are PhDs, there are people getting their PhDs on trying to figure out how to solve land use, you know? And there's whole consulting firms that all they do is try to try to sort out government and community uh, uh, land use. So we have by no means cracked the case. Uh, 
what we have done is we've taken a very pragmatic and, and direct grassroots approach. So um, there are people, so there's a, there's a Mozambican land law that says there's a community right to own land. If you've been there for X amount of time, you know, if your neighbors say you own it, there's a, you know, there's a legal mandate saying that, yeah, you may not have a title for this land, but you know, you have ownership, community ownership of this land. It's, it's a good thing. You know, it's a good thing that that, that, that exists for people in the communities. Uh, in the future, a lot of that land will probably go towards, they will actually, you know, legalize their ownership of that land as more and more people start to get there. And so, so we, we build everything we have on that basis. We have an outgrower program. So they own the land that they're doing. They're, they're farming their land. Uh, some of the land is being used as a model farm. So Gorongosa, so our Gorongosa basically has a model farm that's being used to do training, to justify some big capitalization, and to really catalyze the kind of the adoption of coffee as a, as a production commodity for, for people in the space. So, so yeah, not to say we haven't solved the case, what we have done is really uh, included the government, both local, national, district, and this other kind of level called traditional leaders, which is right. a totally different sort of sense of, you know, uh, governance. It's a totally different uh, method and approach to governance. And then the actual individual families and, and communities themselves. I, I could not, I honestly could not imagine anyone uh, approaching this differently and having any type of success because the first thing they'll do if you if you don't if you're not doing it right they'll let you know probably by burning something down you know so <laughs> if you know if, you, if you're doing mm. it right yes. you know, um, so, uh, you're so it's a not a one-star review it's right. a you know That's right. yeah, it's something else it's a small fire <laughs> um, um before we get too far matt where can people get more information on our gorongoza please go to rgorongosa.com. And that's a great place to not only find the coffee, which is an exceptional coffee. I just have to emphasize that. It at is the end coffee. of the day, hopefully yeah. we'll get to what the brand is. But at the end of the we'll, day, we'll get there. Yep. All at right. the end of the day, the coffee is exceptional coffee. It's specialty coffee. So it's rated, you know, it's really high coffee. Each bean is selected one-on-one. -on -one. It's a really amazing processing method. Shea grown, which makes it just amazing. And it's a great cultivar, Arabica coffee. So go to Argorongosa. And I think what we're really trying to create is a community here around not just the brand, but the impact. And we're finding that people, and this is kind of goes into the brand conversation, people really identify with this brand so much more than uh, like, oh, it's just some coffee we drink. It's, it's like, actually, this represents our, our values in this world. It's like, we want to be a part of something. We want to be part of one of the greatest restoration stories of any national park in the world. Like who doesn't want to be a part of that? Right. Exactly. You, you, you have, so you have coffee, you've got this education process going on. You've got some people to sign up, whatever. Did you guys think first about maybe wholesale rather than this vertical integration model that you kind of, so, you know, when did you decide we're going to, we're going to roast and we're going to brand and is that because the brand, in fact, carries the whole message? Otherwise, it's just a bunch of beans. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. And 
you, it's asked from a person who understands very well CPG and supply chains. You know, there's not there's no generality that questions. It's a real, you know, question to the heart of the matter. So, so thanks for that. So here is, is what we've done. We've actually we're actually doing both. So uh, right now we're in a scale up phase, which means uh, there is a there's a supply of coffee. It's you know uh, it's. It's premium because it's just coming out. We're just emerging onto the market. Uh, what we're doing is trying to create relationships on both fronts so that we have a diversified revenue stream. On the one hand, coffee from our coffee is going into our Gorongosa blends that we're branding and we're telling our story the way we want to tell it. You know, the way that's really authentic to the, the, the people we work with. You know, we feature Mozambican voices, you know, on a weekly basis amplified on our social media, amplified on interviews and blogs and, and, and uh, news stories and things like that. Um, and then on the other hand, we're working with some of the best coffee people in the whole world, both from a research perspective, you know, at, at, the, at the level of um, plant physiology, you know, and think <laughs> people looking at the photosynthesis of leaves themselves, that's right. somebody's work, they do that. You know, and, and then uh, working with partners who purchase green bean coffee, rebrand it and tell the story. And, and really the success of the project is about, the, is about this resilience and diversity that we create. The robustness of our ability to bring value back, I think will make a big difference, you know? And, and nothing, could be more, nothing could be more evident than looking at the current crisis that's happening, the global pandemic, and realizing that it is nice to have not one way you do things, but actually slightly, you know, multiple, yes. multiple approaches, multiple partners, and that kind of diversity creates resilience in and of itself. Right. It's right. Yeah. Six, six months ago, you had a Michelin one-star restaurant. You thought you were on top of the world and all of a sudden, Gone. That's precisely right. That's precisely right. And so, yeah, in the future, what, what we hope to see, let's imagine five years down the road, you'll see fully fledged our Gorongosa product. And we will be, you know, we're our Gorongosa. We're not Gorongosa coffee. So, uh, you know, we work with about 600 farmers on this mountain. I work with about 5,000 farmers around the park who grow cashews. And another thousand people who do honey production, you know, and so these three commodities are really, we're going to find the magic mix that works. And hopefully that comes in innovative products. It comes with direct impact products and it comes with things to put on the premium commodity market, you know, and, and all of that really links right back into people's, you know, livelihood. Yeah, and the, and the whole idea of the, the movement, the plant-based movement, um, you know, speaks to a lot of that as well, because all of a sudden um, we're producing foods from stuff that contains a lot of nuts, um, a lot of peas. You know, I can't imagine what, I, I hope that you can grow peas in the same place you used to grow kale because, right, we could change the crop over, but pressure on all those items now all of a sudden, because everybody wants to do this, you know, th this other stuff, but the opportunities for that and the fact that pretty much, especially if you're going to be non-GMO is stuff only grows in certain places naturally. So we, we want to, you know, we want to try to, to stay with that and, and, and get it done. 
But coffee also seems to me to have a, there is a cachet to premium coffee. There are stories, there are like wine, there's single origin, there's terroir, there's, you know, whatever. Um, you have a whole kind of built-in brand story you can create on top of the fact that we're doing something with the park that just makes this story all that, all that much better. How are you handling, because I do like to remind people that although we are in the food and beverage industry, we are also basically in the logistics industry. So how do you guys handle like the roasting and getting it? And, and do you, do you ship it from Mozambique? Do you get it to the United States, UK, somewhere? How do you handle that? That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, that was, a. Uh, I'm glad you, where were you a couple of years ago? You could have told me that we were in the logistics business because I, I was kind of like a freight train when I first tried to export coffee, you know, it was the first ever exported specialty coffee from Mozambique, you know, and it's, the guys, you know. It's terrible. But no, I do that in, I do workshops for people who are just starting out with their brands or their, their aspiration. They don't even have a brand yet, they're a product or whatever. And, and I, I talk about that logistics and they look at me like, but I wanted to do gourmet brownies. I want to be a chef. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's nice. You want to be a chef. Great. You want to be a chef, open a restaurant. This right. is the food business. Okay. It's a different that's thing. Right. So how did you guys tackle that? So, so that's great. I'm, I'm glad you said it. Um, and the, uh, there's, there's a couple things in terms of where it's going. Like how, right now in, in Boise, Idaho, you can go to, the co-op, the Boise co-op, and you can buy Goranga's coffee. How does it get on that shelf? You know, what's crazy is now I know what, what put it on the shelf. <laughs> How that gets every there. Every <laughs> other product I look at, I just kind of, I just say, wow. You know, everyone here is, you know, we're all doing magic to get here. So, uh, right. So we picked the coffee, right? There's this whole process and that's a, that's an amazing process. I would encourage you and your, your followers one day post COVID, come to Mozambique, come come and come with me, and we'll look at how coffee's picked and processed. It is a beautiful thing. If you're if you're a daily coffee drinker and you understand where it comes from, it is it it suddenly makes every single cup of coffee you taste even more wow, magical. You know. Oh yeah. So okay. okay. So now now Steve's with me. We're in Mozambique. We're picking a coffee, process it. Uh, we we managed to build a factory there to uh, you know create employment to process the coffee to do quality and it's exceptional. Now you've got a bag of coffee. It's called green bean coffee. Beautiful thing. Now that coffee we got to get it to the port. Luckily we're not far from a port. There was some um, there was and has been some fighting on some of the roads. So we've had some challenges. Uh, you know, some harrowing moments, you know, to get this, get the products out, but okay, we get it out, get it to the port. Um, and now we have some really good partners that we're working with um, in terms of green bean uh, exporters. What's great about the green bean space, as you say, is you actually have a supply chain. You have, um, you have brokers, you know, things, people like that who are in it to create value for people along the supply chain. So, there's a lot of places and a lot of commodities where that's not the case, where it is really a race to the bottom. And right. in coffee, you, you, it's, it's such a wide enough space that you have, it's, and it's so evolved that you have people and partners that you can join with who are with it, who are in it with you. And they say, listen, 
we just want to do overheads and we want to, you know, have a, a, a tiny fraction of margin because we know that it goes back to the farmer. And we said, great, you're the partner for us. <laughs> you know, let's, let's be friends. So we joined with them, uh, you know, and uh, ship a container. The container travels to the West Coast. Then it gets, uh, you know, obviously arrives. Uh, take it from there, comes here to Boise, where we uh, have a, a great relationship with a specialty roaster. Gets roasted, packaged, and then our team, you know, they get your order, you order online, they get your order, they, they write you a, a sweet note that says, you know, you're changing the world, good job, enjoy the coffee, goes right into it, it's delivered, you know, the next two days, three days, and and then you feel like, wow, I, I, I'm living the dream. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So we, we know how to, we know, we know where it goes now. We know where it comes from. So commitment guys, you have to, you have to try uh, right. some of the, some of the copy for sure. Um, in, in Matt, in, in going uh, forward um, a little bit, what do you guys kind of see is, is, is scaling really the next thing is to just try to enlarge the, the coffee business and right. return as much of that profit as you can back to the, to the park. Yeah, I think there's really three things that are on our t- now that we have now that we've been hit by the logistics freight train and we've we've solved it. Okay, so you know, solve some of those problems. We have the product; it's exceptional. We've done those pieces. We've done our homework. You know, we've done the leg work, the footwork. We're, we're we're right here. Now we're looking ahead, as you say, and there's about three things. The first is. Um, really, we have the channel open so anyone can come and talk to us, and that's the direct to consumer channel. And that, that took a lot of work to get together. And that's really what, we, what we've started with. And we started there because it's, it's, um, it's really about yeah. having the conversation directly, yep. you know? For sure. And, and now we're expanding, now that we've got our message straight, our messaging straight, which I will tell you is, is not trivial to try to communicate to normal people like my mom, you know, people who we want to sell coffee to and like, what is it that you're doing? What kind of business is this? How does it, you know, how do you make that palatable to real people, you know, not scientists and not, not people working at the UN, but like, right. you know, a mom, you know, buying coffee with her kid, you know, like, how do you make it palatable, the story? And I think we've done that. And uh, I, I, I haven't done that, but we've got some really great people uh, working on that. Um, so, so the next stop is taking that, uh, very much into the retail space and it's select retail. So it's looking at, uh, again, all along our supply chain and all along our value chain, it's always about identifying partners that align with our values and align with our why, you know, and I, right. I don't say that, I don't say that, you know, in some kind of metaphysical way or some kind of way that isn't tangible. I think our why is, you know, it's, it's really blood, sweat, and tears, and I've seen it. You know, so when when we talk about our why, it's not it's not something written on a on a page that we look at on a on a spreadsheet or something. It's like real people in, in real environmental impacts. So, you know, and so trying to get into retail is huge. And uh, and then I think the uh, the message, the retail, and then the big part is what's next in product development. You know, do we become, you know, yeah, we are a single origin coffee and that's fantastic. I think we will, I think we're going to win over a lot of people just by the sheer quality of the coffee, you know, not even Mm -hmm. the messaging, but just the quality of the coffee. Uh, The question is, well, well, what's next? And we have, we've just brought on a person who's, um, her role is so exciting. Her role is this. 
she works for growing, she works for us in helping to develop the brand. She also works with the, uh, the, the livelihoods piece, particularly with women run businesses. And so the idea is like, right. what, if, what if she does, what if she can crack this code through this co-creation process with you know, women on the front lines in Mozambique making businesses and doing exciting things? You know, what if she creates some product that's specialty coffee, ready to drink with cashew milk and honey from Gorongoza, you know? And what if that comes out and, and that's a real winner and people really respond to that? And, and I, you know, I'm just kind of teasing, but I think that that's a big piece of what we look to, you know, solidifying our sales and opening up our sales channels and coming up with a, a new innovative product wow. that really speaks to the people who, who, who love what we're doing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, exciting, exciting times for sure. Um, so I, I just want to say for, for fellow entrepreneurs out there, the next time that you complain about the fact that your distributor hasn't gotten the truck there yet, think about having to drive down to your local Albertsons or Kroger. And there's a bunch of guys with guns along the way that might just decide to take your truck. Okay. Just, you know, be, beware. There's different yeah, a, types of challenges. Real um, I so just, can, whenever I go through that area, I just like, I put on music, you know, and I'm just like, it's cool. You know, I just try to be like, what, you know, it's cool. This will be fine. Not like driving down the five to deliver something to LA. Let me tell you. No. Um, so man, speaking of challenges, we, uh, we, we, we ask uh, uh, of our guests and we have them on um, because fellow entrepreneurs, of course, are not necessarily going to go through the same thing you guys have gone through, but there are some similar challenges that they have for sure. Um, looking back on it, what was the, the biggest single challenge that you guys had and how did you overcome it? That is the, that is a great question. I appreciate you asking and I appreciate that you asked this to everyone because I think it is really um, an enlightening moment. And what we can share, which I think is something that's really translatable to a lot of different businesses is the idea of resilience. And the idea that the challenges we've faced have always been different and they've been shocks to the system that come in, you know, in different packages, you know, from, again, economic issues to climactic issues to social political issues to play biblical plagues to now an honest to goodness, you know, global pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, I will tell you the most interesting thing, everyone on my team was so ready to pivot and everyone's had challenges and don't get me wrong. I mean, we've, we've had sure. stresses, you know, families and all sorts of things. What, what we didn't have was a question about, well, here's a new paradigm shift and a new operating uh, uh, approach that we have to do. No one batted an eye. And, and the reason why I think that happened is because, is because the challenge we face in Mozambique is uncertainty. Is, is, you know, people talk about VUCA, you know, vulnerability, uncertainty, right. and, and some of these pieces. And in, I mean, quite honestly, when we were looking at this project, we always thought that Gorongosa would actually start to stabilize, which, which it will. And, and we have full faith in that. What is also true is that even though we're doing an inside job, the outside job, the world itself is becoming slightly more uncertain, you know, and that... Actually, the two might meet in the middle, that the sheer uncertainty that we deal with on an annual basis might actually sort of 
you know, stabilized to some other medium that the rest of the world is actually rapidly approaching. And we're seeing that over and over again. And I, I don't see that, I don't say that as a doomsdayer. I, I think that, you know, I think that adaptability is a, is, a, is a condition that many companies are also looking. They talk about agility, you know, all these different things that that's the type of company you need to have. And so our greatest challenge really is, you know, is, is uncertainty. And the, the response to that is, is resilience and, and agility and, and not, not just terms, but like actionable things that your team has a mindset where it turns out that there's a pandemic. Guess what? Next week we're doing this. And everyone's like, yep, makes sense. You know, last year there was a cyclone and, right. and that was, a, I mean, I, you know, everything, everything's underwater, you know, and you're like, okay, well now we're taking boats to work. You're like, all right, great. You know, and like having that mindset, I think really transforms your, your ability to execute um, and, and stay competitive, you know, um, stay competitive. Yeah. Which you guys managed to do. I, I, I think it's, um, you know, oftentimes you talk about five-year planning, like one, three, five-year plan. And I talk to people about doing five-year plans and going, look, there's a discipline to planning that you need and it, and it helps you and there's no doubt about it. But more than likely, the biggest single impact on your business and growing your business in five years is not going to be in your plan. It's something else that's going to happen. And, Spot on, and, Steve. Right? And, and, and so it doesn't mean you don't plan and it doesn't mean that you don't look out and try to build with those things and have something to shoot for and all the other stuff, but don't, don't be so, you know, omnipotent that you think that that's the way it's going to go. Cause it's not. And your ability to be able to shift from that pivot, whatever you want to call it, to be able to adapt to things that happen is what's really going to be turning into success or not in the long yeah, run. Spot yeah, Absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. Matt, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. It's, it's great. I want everybody to get some Gorongosa coffee. And uh, I think what we should do, I was thinking about it when you were, were talking a little bit about uh, product development and stuff, is maybe we can do a live cast sometime when you were back in Mozambique. Pleasure. Right? And we can meet some of the people that are involved. I think it would be great. What a pleasure. I fly back next week. Uh, I, yeah, excellent. You know, and so that's, and that's all, by the way, that's all, you can do that, right? I mean, it's it's okay, and the pandemic hasn't shut all that down and everything for you. Yeah, yeah, yep. um, I can do it. My, my one pro tip for anybody who has to travel in the pandemic world: bring three, four masks. You don't want to be in the same mask thirty <laughs> hours of traveling. I swear, I did it. I I almost I almost died. You know, your your own breath. You don't uh, have to breathe your own <laughs> breath after thirty hours on planes. It's just it's not a pretty sight. So bring multiple masks and probably right. a toothbrush. But yeah, that's that'd be sense. a good idea. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks, hey, to all the rest of you for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast. We're brought to you as always by Kitchen to Shelf, the educational resource for CPG entrepreneurs and emerging brands. Kitchen to Shelf is also the home of To Do Tuesday, a weekly short reach out hosted by K2S co-founder, Deborah Armstrong. Every Tuesday, she outlines a simple to-do that can help you accomplish larger goals in your business. So if you need some weekly accountability, try To Do Tuesdays from Kitchen to Shelf, available on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and of course, kitchentoshelf.com. That's kitchen, the number two shelf.com. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands Podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.